Hey, I wanted to start off this episode in a different way. We were, thanks to you guys listening, in the top 10% of podcasts most shared globally, which is so impressive and means so much to me for a podcast that is less than a year old. Still, I want to set you a challenge of getting into that top 1%. So if you have ever enjoyed an episode or thought that the message from a guest was worth sharing, please send that episode to your friends. If you know someone that loves cars and is looking to get into the industry or change careers, help give them some inspiration. And speaking of inspiration, let's see what we got today. The education was great. The people I studied with were interesting. It's a hard one with females. Like it's, it's, it's difficult for people to not take it the wrong way. If there's a small minority of us, then you kind of want to be the person that stands out. And again, this is going to sound awful, but it's just the way it works. You don't want to be employed because you tick a box. What was the thing that made you go, right, actually, no, I can't, I can't do this. Like, this is the thing I want to do, so. You were always competing against them and you always had to prove yourself to do it. So that push and that drive, I think, just came from the fact that I could just be like one of the guys. And what is it like having a partner then that understands, I guess, understands that part of you? Because it also is like the closest person to you, but also has that same passion. You feel so privileged. Because as you said, it's so hard to find someone with the same passion, especially when it comes to cars, it's just so specific. Yeah, if there was no risk in it, I'd go, yeah, okay. Forget everything else, I'm gonna set up on my own. What advice would you give to um, a younger you or someone that wants to pursue something with their passion? Advice I give to a younger me to not worry. I still go on to social media and, you know, why is that person doing that? They're my age and how, why have I, why haven't I not got that? For the younger generation, I do feel for them because you're constantly questioning yourself. Instead of this month's episodes being sponsored by a great company, giving you something as a thank you for listening, I wanted to announce something special. Ignition is releasing a clothing line. This clothing line is something that we've been working on for quite a while now and behind the scenes been figuring out how could we give back? And the way you want to give back is give designers 30% of everything that's sold. So if you buy a t-shirt, 30% of the profits from that t-shirt will go directly to the artist. It's just a way for us to show the great and amazing talent that is in the automotive and motorsport worlds. And that means if you do have a design or an idea for a clothing line, give us a message. Email me at harry at ignitionpod.com. That's harry at ignitionpod.com. I'd love to have a chat. But anyway, back to the episode. Oh, and before you go, podcast listeners get 15% off. So check the show notes below for that code for you. What ignited your passion for cars? Uh, it kind of started at a younger age when my cousins were probably about 10 or 11. I was about three or four. And they would play with Hot Wheels. And both boys play with Hot Wheels, Gran Turismo. Like it was, they were all car nuts. So we grew up with both of them. Um, me and my sister grew up with them sort of our whole lives so we just naturally became interested in cars uh, my mum's been a, a motorbike nut since she was a kid so it kind of runs in the family um, so the passion for cars kind of just is an inbuilt thing you kind mm. of can't help it it just happens and then you realize that okay you're in it for the uh, the long haul no, fantastic. And so I guess that describes sort of where the, the car side of you came from. But if I wanted to know who you were outside of cars and to get an idea of your background and maybe your upbringing to sort of who you are today, what would I need to know? So um, upbringing wise, uh, yes. Yeah, so me and my sister are both born um, down in London in Hillingdon. Uh, both my parents always worked their whole lives um, so both worked in the aviation industry for a while um, and 
went to school, did the usual stuff kids do, uh, grew up a little bit more, tried to understand what we wanted to go into. And I was very much a... I've always been a creative person, so I always mm. knew I wanted to do something to do with cars. Um, sorry, not cars, to do with art. So I love painting, loved modelling, loved, you know, the, like as kids, you did the potato uh, the potato paintings where you'd yeah. use the shapes and you'd... So we do stuff like that, and I was I was obsessed with anything to do with art, even when I was as, as a kid. Um, so, yep, yeah, went through school, um, did your usual... Uh, subjects which were never really that interesting and creativity was kind of pushed to the back and then we um, I was sent to a girls private school purely out of my parents choice to I think they just thought it was a better way of education um, was it a better way of education the education was great the people I studied with were interesting um, it was very much privileged um people came from a privileged background and we we didn't so it was it was quite uh it was quite an eye-opener for us because no one really understood us um I say us because myself and my sister both had the same sort of experiences and loving cars and having that sort of mindset didn't really make sense to most of the to, to the to the school I went to they didn't mm. really get what I was passionate about and I was very much pushed towards textiles because I was really good at textiles and I enjoyed it, but it was never going to be my career. Mm. Um, so, yeah, fantastic. Went to this private school and, you know, I did great out of it, but it was never quite, you never felt like you fit in, um, especially with the cast thing. I think girls just thought I was a bit weird. Um, they always do uh, until I went to college. Um, so, I, yeah, so at 16, I decided I was going to, finish up and go to college instead of uh, carry on at sixth form and there I got to broaden horizons got to meet a lot of different people um, and that's where I was lucky enough to be introduced into the world of like uh, into CAD and uh, I sort of like the computer side of of design which mm. I never really got to do at, at school um, and I was then introduced to car design while I was at college as an option and I kind of became obsessive over it from then um, and yeah so I went to college did studied graphic design studied um, art and design and I think I studied French because I really enjoyed languages yeah kind of as a random thing but I thought I kind there was there was not much help or guidance um, even when it came to knowing what you wanted to go into because it doesn't exist as a, as a wide subject, car design. So you kind of guessed what you needed to do to get there, but whether that was right or wrong, I wasn't sure. So, yeah, so I studied those um, and finished college, and then I deferred a year from university, um, and I applied for, obviously, the car design course, hoping that the, like the arty side of what I did in my portfolio would be enough. Yeah. Um, and luckily, yeah, I got I got in for the following year. So I did did my deferral, got into Coventry Uni, um, and that's where I obviously started studying automotive design. Yeah. And so, so what was the was the culture? I guess the massive culture shock. Then, if you then you go from having a a classroom and classmates that I guess at the girls' school that knew nothing about it to you literally going into a course designed for people who are obsessed with cars. It's yeah, the the change is insane because suddenly you click, like 
you, you sort of feel like you've been sleepwalking a little bit then you, you you go into an environment where people think the same and have the same passion as you and you're like oh this is what it was like to maybe have gone to you know to a school where there were a mix of not that I'm saying it's gender specific but with a private school I think you just get a certain sort of range of people that maybe might not be into this sort of thing so yeah, yeah going into uni and having it was literally a room full of guys I think there were four girls and there were about 120 guys I think it was a big course yeah um it was daunting but it was amazing just to go in and go let's just talk about cars what's your favorite car and everyone just knew what they were going on about it was um yeah it was probably the best four years of education I've had yeah and so, so how did that transition then because if you're Again, it's still, I mean, it's still four girls in, in a room of 120 guys. So did, did that, did you, did you, as a, I don't know, as, as a female collective, did you grow, did you grow a relationship with, with them? And are you still in contact with them? Or was it like a, was it more of a competition sort of thing? It kind of, no, we kind of got on. Um, it's a hard one with females and I don't like, to, it's, it's, it's difficult for people to not take it the wrong way, but you almost feel like you're in competition because it's a small group of girls and you all get your backs up because it's kind of like, oh, well, if there's a small minority of us, then you kind of want to be the person that stands out, mm. which is, I guess, a wrong way of looking at it. You shouldn't, but naturally, I think instinctively, I think times are changing, but even, you know, 10 years ago, that's what it felt like. Um, I don't speak to any of them anymore, actually. Um, I think a few of them went into uh, boat design, um, I think a couple of them did sort of something to do with all the computer-aided modelling, hmm. um, but a couple of them didn't didn't go into it. So I don't actually, I don't actually talk to any of them. The guys, yeah, <laughs> speak to most of the guys, but not, none of the females, strangely enough. Uh, that's interesting because it's just one of those things where, like, it, it just it's weird because it is such a male-dominated career path, isn't it? It's one of those things where I've spoken to to um, people on the podcast before, and they go, yeah, they are female. They go, yeah, there's no one that looks like me. There's no one that's my gender. There's no one that that understands like that side of it and it's it's interesting so when you when you found a job and you were looking for a job in automotive design like how was the interview process and what was it like for you what was your experience of it it was tough because you feel as though you almost have to prove yourself double fold to a, to, to a male hmm. um because you don't want to be employed and again, this is going to sound awful, but it's just the way it works. You don't want to be employed because you tick a box of, oh, well, great. There's not many females, so we'll take them. Um, because I went into the clay modelling side of automotive design, I think I felt better in the sense where you have to prove a skill. Mm. You have to prove it on a job with a team of people. Um, and if you're no good at it, they'll be able to tell straight away. So the the pro, the process I went through actually after uni was that we were um, given an opportunity to do like a three month academy. So you go to this academy um, and they sort of teach you the basics of hard modelling as well as clay modelling, just so you kind of have the know how of being able to go and do whatever it is on your own yeah. and not be sort of not have to have help for it. So that was a good three months um, just to get your head around it. And that really helped me when I applied for uh, the Jaguar Land Rover position as a clay modeler, because you were able to confidently talk about um, what you knew and you could actually show what you've done. Yeah. Um, so the process for getting the actual job for me 
um, I think I was quite lucky in that sense because I felt confident enough to be able to say, yeah, I can, I can prove myself just as well as as a guy could in the situation. Yeah, and is that out of all the ways you could have, I guess, all ways you could have picked your career? Why, why clay modelling, and what what influenced that choice? So the clay modelling actually came about, and I think most clay modellers out my age do say the same thing. They always say, we didn't even know it existed. So hmm. you decide you want to go into car design because in your head you're like, I'm going to sketch cars. That's 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 it. That's all I want to do. Um, you don't think about the fact that it's a 3D model at some stage of its life. So it was something that we got introduced to in second year of uni and we did uh, these uh, clay head sculptures so like an abstract piece of anything so I think I did a flamingo or whatever yeah um it didn't have to be car related and even then when we were doing those sculptures I thought this can't I don't I don't get it why would we be doing this as a part of the car course and then we went looked into it and you know a lot of the guys didn't know either about about the clay modeling um we looked into it and I just sort of fell in love with the fact that you did the job by hand so you weren't sat at a desk sketching all day um you were actually moving around a physical model and you were constantly being able to rip things apart put them back together and I liked the element of the fact you could destroy like a side and then put it back um so I instantly just fell in love with it as soon as they introduced it to the course and we did like a practice piece I was like right okay I'm that's what I want to go into and that's what I'm going to focus my next three years of of university into. Um, we were able to select from obviously alias so like computer-aided modelling, sketching uh, or, or clay modelling as a as a discipline almost to try and um, focus towards. So I've been focused towards clay until, until the end of um, university. Yeah, and when there are many people doing that, then because for me, I can't, I can't, I didn't go to university, so I don't know what it's like in 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 that sort of atmosphere. And did, was there many people that went into clay modelling? Was that like a thing? A fair few. Um, you you sort of be surprised that there was probably a handful at the beginning, and then more and more people sort of thought, actually, you know what, sketching isn't for me, or I can't compete against the people that are really good because there were some people in my course, and they were like they were incredible. And I always thought, actually, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get to that level. Um, same with the CAS and the, the the computer side. I was awful at that when some guys were so, so good at it. You could just, you know, they could whip up a model like that. So mm. we had a good sort of a mix of everyone doing everything. Um, yes, a lot of people did go into the clay in the end. However, because it's so niche and because it's so hard to get a job, I think a lot of a lot of my um, course mates just struggle get, uh, getting a job afterwards, but I think they had a good go. They did try, um, but it is it's it's competitive and it's tough. So, so what gave you? So, yeah, I'm just thinking. What, so, what gave you the confidence to carry on then and push through? If you've seen these people that seemingly are a lot better than you, is it was it like a willingness to learn? Was it with that competitiveness again? Like, what was the thing that made you go, "Wait, actually, no, I can, I can do this. Like, this is the thing I want to do." So. Yeah, I'd say it was the competitiveness of going again. I think there were, there might have been, yeah. So there was another female that was doing the clay, which was fine. But it was like, right, we kind of, I almost need to be as good as the guys, if not better. And so I just practiced myself. Um, mm. And you were allowed to go into studio and practice on your own anyway. So I'd just go in there and you, you didn't have much 
direction from the university as into how to actually model a car. Okay. You almost had to teach yourself. They introduced it to you and said this exists um, and gave you very basic knowledge of it. But the rest of it, you had to sort of learn yourself. So you really had to drive drive yourself to, mm. to practice. And it was the practice really that pushed me. Um, and just the thought of thinking, yeah, at the end of this, I could be like modeling, I don't know, my head at the time, because I loved Audi at the time. I was like, I could be, you know, modeling the next Audi R8. And that's kind of what yeah. really pushed me to, to carry on. That's and, um, Yeah. Yeah, sorry. So, what is the what is the the resilience? Where does this come from? Then was this something that a, a, a childhood or anything like that that's built up this resilience or this determination? Or is it just something that you went maybe that I've I've spent all this time being misunderstood? Like this is the time to show like what I can. And is it in a form of expression? I guess is the question I'm asking. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the having to sort of again compete against the guys all right, yeah, like we said, times are changing now, but even 10 years ago, you did sort of feel like yeah, you were always competing against them and you always had to prove yourself to do it. So that push and that drive, I think, just came from the fact that I could just be like one of the guys. Mm. And if I could be like them, then I can be just as good as them at doing something that is a very stereotypical and male-dominated um, profession. Yeah, no, it's interesting just because like it's, it's something that, Clearly, you've, you've got this creative spark when you're growing up. You then you go into an environment which is now heavily male dominated, and it's, it's I don't know what it is where you take a, a minority and put them in a group of of people that that, that it's, I don't I don't know what happened. So what 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 happened after university when you when you came to getting a job? Like what was that process like? And and taking this this drive and this passion you have for this modelling, and and and, to, and conveying that to an employer. So what was what was that like? Uh, so the whole process after university, um, I was actually lucky enough to get a placement at un- while I was at uni yeah. um, at Aston Martin. So I did a three month placement there mm. and they I basically did like a, a practice um, small model with them. And they were really helpful with the way they kind of taught me and, and, and showed me skills that I didn't really I wasn't aware of. So that helped me a lot. And then after uni, obviously, I did this academy um, and we we learned a lot more skills. We got to sort of learn things we didn't know. Um, and to then be able to take that all um, into the interview process, again, which for a clay modeler or someone trying to get a clay modeling position, you can't just sit at a desk. And they can't just ask questions. Yeah. You almost have to present yourself um, and you have to show your portfolio of work. So you've got to be able to show what you did. Um, as your final project at uni so we all have to obviously design a car at uni and that takes a lot um, so that the process and showing the passion was really through all the work that we put in during university mm. um, which is why it's so important again going back to pushing yourself and driving yourself to do the work it was only really to be able to show to your your, your first potential employer um so the process kind of it almost feels like it was that whole length of time during uni up until applying for the job because everything we showed that into the interview process was what we what we'd done yeah and so, so, for, so for one that doesn't understand it, um clay modeling cough cough me um like so is it like you start with like a sketch and a concept and then you build that on cad and then does that cad design then go into clay or like what is the process like so they actually do start as uh, CAD models. So they do they do start on the computer and they will sort of designer obviously will collaborate with the 
uh, CAD designers and they'll come up with something on, on the tube, as they like to call it, tube. Um, and then we will get that milled onto a, a full size clay model. So that will get milled um, as was on the, on the computer. Um, from that point, we then clean the model up just for the designers to have a look. And from there, it's very rare that a designer will go, that's perfect, or, you know, that's the car we're going to do. Um, and that's when the process starts. So that's when we kind of go back and forth from CAD to clay modelling and we make changes by hand. Mm. And times, again, times are changing now. So obviously the digital side of things are coming out more. So there are a lot more things that get done digitally and they get transferred over to us and we're just sort of milling whatever it is that the changes and then we're slicking it down. Mm. Um, but usually the beginning parts of, of, of designing a car or a new model is usually very hands-on and you are usually getting your hands dirty and you're you know, taking loads of clay on, putting it off. And it usually takes roughly about five to six years to, to work on a model. So you oh. could be working on a model for ages um and you don't notice how quickly it goes um i've been recently been working on a model for the last two years i think um and you just don't realize how quickly the time is going um and yeah just as time goes on it gets refined uh more the more it goes into refinement process the more we sort of do the the, the very smaller sort of amounts of work so we're doing the more intricate details by that point yeah um, and then obviously there is a point where you sort of step away because then sort of the, the, the digital side completely takes over. Um, but it is a good five, six years of just making changes, uh, milling, slicking, and then, yeah. So the design, the design very much evolves, I guess, with the times then? Yeah. It's, um, it's sort of getting to a point now where I only, I've only been at JLR for seven and a half years, coming up seven and a half years. And even within that small time scale, I've noticed the change mm. of when I first started, we were still doing certain elements by hand and we don't do that anymore, which I find is insane because it's not been that long. But obviously yeah. there's been so many advances digitally now that it's not becoming, you know, it's it, by no means is clay disappearing yet but it is definitely becoming it's still a tool but we're not doing stuff as hands-on as we used to because you couldn't make the changes on a, on a computer and put them on and it is kind of sad for, for people like me because I love doing everything by hand yeah. um, but it's it is it's with the times and especially I think you know with the way the markets are going in electric cars and all this I think it's just naturally that's the way it's going to progress yeah so so with, with clay design like what is i guess what is the point of it is it just to have like a, a physical representation of what the car could look like is that the idea behind it yeah so it's it started out and it's i mean it's it's hundreds of years old clay is um and the the whole point and people don't some people sort of don't get why we bother with clay in the first place i mean why not do it all on the computer anyway um was and still is for your designer or whoever it is that's coming around to look at it, to be able to come and actually feel the surfaces mm. and to look at them. And if they want an immediate change, for example, you know, if they wanted like the camp rail taking down by, I don't know, two or three mil, for them to go back and do that on the computer would take a hell of a lot longer than for us to just do it while they're standing there and, you know, have a new camp rail for them. Um, so the, the, the fact that the process is quite a quick process when you're making changes 
yeah. the fact they can physically stand and look at a model and actually feel the surfaces to see what they do and don't do. And I don't think that can ever really be replaced. Um, and I think that's why it will always, clay will always be there. And that's why it's, it's always been a, a massive tool when you're designing yeah. a car. Because I guess you can't, you can't 3D print clay and then remove it, can you? Lastly, like... No, I mean, more and more parts are being 3D printed now. So things like um, wheel, like wheel trims, um, mirrors, lamps, things like that, they're all now being 3D printed just because it's a, a cheaper option mm. for companies. Um, but yeah, the, the main the main body work of a, of a of a car can always it always has to be clay to for it to work. Man, it's brilliant. When you're when you're making a car, then and it's and it's going and it's going well, maybe it's not going well. Like, have you had to completely start from scratch? Yeah. So if it's if it's going really badly, we never kind of start from the beginning again. You usually end up working on that same model, but they'll it will just get backed. It'll get remilled again. So you'll remill the same car, and that's the beauty with clay as well. You can just rework it. So it doesn't have to be taken off or anything because the, the actual material itself is like a plasticine. So it doesn't mm. ever harden. Um, so we can heat it up and reload clay back on. So the nice thing is that, yeah, okay, if they go, right, scrap that, we're going to change the whole car. You can still use that model and just remill and rework it. Again, I guess cost efficiency in that, in that sense, is it, it sort of makes sense. Yeah, well, I guess from a personal standpoint, though, is it like is is it demoralising or is it a chance to like I don't know explore a different angle? Uh, you do become really attached to the clay models, and it's really annoying, especially when you first start off because you you're really enjoying what you're doing and you think oh like this is mine, you know this I've I've worked on this bumper for example. You become so protective over mm. parts of it, um, and so yes, when they say completely change that or get rid of it, it's upsetting, but the more I guess the more experienced you become and the more you do it the more you sort of numb to it and you're like yeah we'll, we'll just start again it's fine and it's more practice so you know the more you destroy things and redo them again the more practice you're getting because as a clay modeler you can't really ever be at the top of your game because you're always learning different techniques and different ways of doing things um so yeah it used to be demoralizing as probably like seven years ago and now I'm, I'm at a stage where I'm like I can destroy something and, and rebuild it and, and not not get worried about it yeah so what is the difference between that shimela seven years ago and you now then because if it's a different different person different things like what have you learned about the industry and, and, the, and the experience that's that's taught you what you need to know now then i have learned it is tough really tough and i thought it wouldn't be as hard as it was going to be when i first started but having to prove yourself especially to people that have been doing it for like 40 years mm is so difficult because they've been around the whole world and they've worked for all sorts of car companies. And so when you're starting out, you're almost still classed, you know, it's been seven and a half years, but you are almost still classed as fairly new. Um, and I think until you get to like a 20 year point, you're always going to be classed as, yeah, yeah, you know, you can still learn. Um, but I have found it really challenging and, and I'm still going. So, you know, I still love the job and I still want to carry on. So I, whatever I can do to improve myself and you learn so much from these contractors mm. because they've had the experience that you, you know, you learn to respect them and they learn to respect the fact that you are trying to learn and that you are here for the long haul. Um, and like I said earlier, if you, if it's something you struggle doing and you don't enjoy doing it and you're sort of doing it for the hell of it, these guys can tell. 
and and if it's not for you it's not for you um you've got to really be passionate about it and you've really got to give it everything to be able to be one of the best and is it yeah i can see so i'm interested in two things like you you mentioned you said tough like so like it's very vague words like what was it actually like at the beginning like you said tough like what was it like for you then yeah it was it was going into again male dominant industry at the time there were no other females in that studio apart from myself and, and, and another girl that started with me and when all eyes are on you because you know the, the the thought process is oh you know this is new we've got two females in the studio and let's see what they can do it's that sort of attitude and you can feel it not that it's ever said you can mm. feel the attitude and you sort of get left to things a lot and so sort of when I first started you know you almost had to you wanted to ask for help but you didn't want to ask for help because you didn't want to sound like you didn't know what you were doing um but it was a constant thing of having to prove yourself and you know clay modelers scrape you know you've got to scrape the floor because you've got to clean the mess you've made um you know you're under a car some of the time and you're doing everything and it's all very manual yeah and I remember having to prove myself to, to this one guy who's been in these three for ages and you know we're really good friends now but he sort of would watch you know every little thing you did and for example having to change a tire you know you've got to put tire, take tires on and off off these cars and at the time I had no muscle like I was useless at stuff like that um mm. but learning to do things like that gained respect from the guys and it took took a lot of time for them to go actually no, she's in it for the long haul and she's mm. not just here because it's a it's a sort of like a, a fad for a bit. She fancies doing it and then she's going to go off and do something else. Um, and, yeah, doing things like changing wheels. And I did eventually start weight training because I was like, I'm going to be lifting wheels and putting them onto cars. I'm going to have to gonna have to start training. Um, but doing things like that, you know, getting in the car and undoing bolts and, you know, bringing out the axle, stuff like that that wasn't even clay modeling was what it took for the mm. guys to realize that you were serious about it. And yeah, I say it was tough. It was tough at the time, but now I look back and go, actually, I'm glad I, I'm glad I gave it a go. And I'm glad I persevered with it. Yeah. It's, it's like, there's like nothing, I think easy is good and nothing good is easy. It's, so it's like, it's, it's worth exactly. putting effort in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and are you still applying that same, like, I guess, because if it's something that it takes a while to learn, I'm just thinking back to, you at university that's going in and practicing and stuff do you still apply practice outside of work now or is it all also hands-on that it's kind of like outside of work you don't want to touch clay yeah outside of work it's strange really I think you sort of because you spend all day with it it's not something you really want to come home and do um I'm still a really creative person so I still paint and I still I still do anything that's not clay outside of work um but I still almost apply like the disciplines that I've learned from work Mm. um into sort of like daily life and into my hobbies that I enjoy doing um but I still like I still sketch cars and I still paint cars um just not clay at home <laughs> purely because the clay that we use at work smells like anything and it's just so messy so I just think I'll leave that at work um and yeah do the other creative side at home yeah and, and when you say like sort of like just painting outside of work like is it is it just a, is, it, is it release like what does it do for you and like is it a way to get away from I guess, or is it what is what is what is painting and being creative outside of work do for you? It's always so painting's always been a release for me. It's always been like this mm. therapy, um, and 
I used to do a lot of abstract stuff and I've just recently started doing I'm doing like a new trial of doing cars and abstract together um because it's always been a release I'm like right I want to actually turn it into something um a bit more interesting yeah and it is a form of therapy for me because it's still car related and it's still creative but on, on a different level um outside of work I still have to you know absolutely love cars so we still do cars car related things but as long as it's not yeah as long as it's not clay you don't feel like you're doing your job then you feel like you've sort of come away from that and you're doing something a bit different yeah and you see you obviously mentioned your cousins and your sister do you, do you go do you guys go to car meets you like i'm just thinking because that, that painting reminds me of like when you were talking about you as a kid like just doing painting and that's i guess that's what the bond you have with your sister is cars so is like do you guys still go out together and and, and have that bond again over the cars so she actually yeah so we she's a massive uh formula one fan and mm. i don't know why but a couple of years back i kind of just lost interest i don't know why mm. i just lost interest but bless her she still absolutely loves f1 so we still do do car things we do go to car meets um obviously my husband i was lucky enough to meet at uni as well and he did the course mm. um and he absolutely loves cars too so yeah car meets car shows just yeah in general um we try and do that sort of related thing uh, my cousins are a lot older now so they've got families and things so we don't get to get together as much but we um now and again we sort of have a dabble at Gran Turismo or you know we'll do online stuff instead because it's easier um yeah. but yeah we sort of plan we sort of try and plan things car related when as when we can um myself and my husband are actually doing a, a road trip in in May and we've just bought a C63 to go to, to do it in because that was our dream car. Oh, congrats. That's, thank you. So that's kind of our new new venture now because we've mm. always wanted to do it. And we just thought if we don't do it now, we never will. So while we can, let's just buy the dream car, do the road trip and um, and then try and decide what we're going to do next. Yeah. And what is it like having a partner then that understands, I guess, understands that part of you? Because I've, I mean, every relationship I've been in, like the whole like me being me being obsessed with cars, they just don't, they don't care. Uh, so so what is, is I guess it's what is it like to have someone that you could, that also is like the closest person to you, but also has that same passion. You feel so privileged because, as you said, it's so hard to find someone um, with the same passion, especially when it comes to cars. It's just so specific, mm. and to have the understanding of, especially like with the job I do. And the fact that most of my friends are guys because I like cars, you know, you really appreciate that the, the you know your other half is okay with that because it it can be you know it can be a lot sometimes, um, but the fact that we share the same passion and we have the same dream cars um, and we're kind of crazy as each other, it's it makes life so much easier. Um, you kind of just don't feel as mad, basically, because there's someone to share it with you all the time. Um, yeah, I feel very, very lucky that I, I have, I have that. Yeah, it's nice, and I guess as the conversation had, but like when you, because I don't know, relationships. I I'm not to that point where kids come into the equation. Like you guys had that conversation. Is it sort of like raising them up, or do you have kids at the moment, or what's the situation with that? No, no, no kids at the minute. But you sort of you discuss it, and you just think, right, yeah, when we have, you've got to, we've got to get them into cars. And both of us are like that, but you know, you sort of have this discussion and think, well, what if they don't like cars? You can't, we can't make them. Mm. And we do joke saying, well, we we are going to make them. You sit sit in front of a TV and and hypnotize them to to get into cars. 
but I'm sure that would change. But yeah, we do, you know, we just we discuss things like that because we are both we both share a passion and obviously that's and we're lucky enough that we went to uni together and we've and it's sort of grown with us mm. and we've been able to do things together that 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 um interact with 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 cars all the time. Yeah, no, it brings up an interesting question when it comes to parenting and that, like in terms of the career that you want, I guess, your kids to have, because you're still having you're still having your own career. So like if it does happen, have you guys had a conversation about that? Um, not really. It's sort of it's almost kind of on the back burner because we're trying to do what we're enjoying at the minute with, you know, yeah. with ourselves. So we're kind of we haven't really looked into it at the minute. Um, it's an interesting question, not even really thought of it, but it would be interesting to see what or what you'd think you'd want your kids to do because I mean I was lucky enough for my parents to never especially um coming from an Asian background I was never pushed into anything stereotypical Mm. um whereas whereas people my age you know we were still in that generation where there was a push push for that um and I was yeah like I was really lucky to not have have any kind of pressure and it was kind of do whatever you want to do whatever makes you happy so I think that's the kind of approach we'd take as well you wouldn't push them into cars if they didn't want to go into them yeah it's interesting so, so why I mean if you ever ask your parents why if you guess if you've got friends with similar backgrounds and similar ethnicities like if you ever ask them why they didn't push you into becoming a doctor a lawyer engineer or all the stereotypical they've, I think they've always just said whatever makes you happy and you know I think with they sort of ended up doing jobs that they kind of had to do to make ends meet for us um and they had to do it for their kids and I think especially when you've had that kind of experience you kind of go right well I don't really want my kid to be doing this I want them to be happy and so pushing them to do the stereotypical things that you know they would have just would have made us probably resent them and it's just not worth it so I think you know that was the thinking of of why they never pushed us into anything like that yeah and the, the, and then guess the the transition from schools as well is that something that i guess you do you hold any resentment against that or is that something that you just understand that no not at all i think it was at the time it was the right thing to do and you know don't get me wrong it did become it made me more resilient um in terms of you know i got bullied at school in terms of how i not how i dressed or anything but just you know the, the way that girls are at a certain age and especially because I like cars, there was nothing ever really to talk to mm. about. There was no real, com- there was nothing that we ever had in common. So you had to become resilient and you kind of had to become your own, not your own group of friends. That sounds really sad. I did, <laughs> I did have friends, but almost to, to hold your own in what you enjoy doing. And like, you know, I didn't ever want to let that go just to fit in. Um, yeah. And the resilience definitely helps like a hundred percent. It makes you a stronger person. So I'm kind of glad I had, the, the experience because at least I can talk about it now and so I kind of got through it yeah and I, I, I guess if you talked to your partner about the, the experience you had at, at school and stuff versus what his yeah. yeah yeah he's kind of had a, a more you know he was around a lot more people in the upbringing in terms of the schools he went to so he had a, like a mix of of everyone so he has a a, a much more balanced way of looking at mm. things um and he's very understanding as to how you know how it all, how I was and how my experiences were compared to him. Um, again, just lucky that you've got someone that understands understands it rather than sort of brings it up as a as a negative in your life. Yeah, it's, it's a positivity is it's great, but if you, if you don't talk about the negative times, you never learn. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, things. you have to, to become that kind of that person. 
No, it's it's inspirational. Uh, it's just listen to obviously the, the journey you've been on so far. It's it's quite yeah. Uh, and and when it comes to the future, I mentioned kids and stuff. But like, if I was to tell you, like, the next five to ten years are going to be the best five to ten years you could possibly have. Obviously, there's road trips happen and the cars on its way. Mm-hmm. So so what what would have to happen for that to be true? Oh, that's tough. Um, I'd like to say that I was still doing clay modelling. Um, I've thought about it so much and I've thought, you know, what do I want to be doing and do I want to still be doing this job? Mm. And I think I would because I really, I genuinely am really passionate about it. I think the only thing that scares me is where, how it's going digitally and how much I'd actually be doing by hand. Mm. So, yeah, number one, I would absolutely love to still be doing clay modelling. Um, I've always wanted to set up my own almost custom body kit company kind of thing and you know you, you don't know I've, I've I've thought about it a couple of times and then I've sort of put it to bed because it's just not the right time but possibly in the future that could be a, a possibility and that would be really cool to do um to have and this is very unrealistic but I'll I'll chuck it in there because you've asked the question um we'd absolutely love to have a an R34 skyline um that's kind of like an absolute dream so that's a real pipe dream, but it is there. Um, and that's it. I mean, it sounds really simple, but just to enjoy what we're doing, enjoy mm. and enjoy the ride while we're still alive. It sounds really corny and really cheesy, but just as, as the older you get, the more you realise you just have to really enjoy what you're doing and make the most of the time that you have, which is hence why we bought the C63, because we were like, we've got to do this now. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could you could finance an R thirty four. Not that you, I don't know how you do that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe possibly get like two or three other jobs on the side. <laughs> yeah, get remortgaged. Yeah, and uh, that's just, it exactly. <laughs> yeah, just turn yourself into a money pit and then just yeah, just just live out of the car. Live out, yeah, live out. Well, that's that's one of those things. It's like <laughs> that, that, that stereotype of like living in a shed and having a yeah. having a nice car. That's literally yeah. it. That's that that's that's the dream. No, brilliant. I've got a weird sort of fantasy that I'll live in like a studio apartment with a gap like on top of a garage, and that's like pretty much I'll take that's that. It. When yeah. I was like really long, like warehouse garages, it was like 10 cars, and like I'll just have like a two story thing. That's I'm digressing. Um, that's fine. That's it's it's just natural, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that car people just dream of. It's uh, it's normal. Yeah, I know. I'm interested about this um this business and this body kit thing. Like, where did the idea come from? Um, so I did um, was it just before COVID or maybe after COVID? I can't remember, but I was um, approached by a company called Deranged, and if you've heard of them, um, and they asked if I could do a bit of clay modelling for them. So I actually worked on like a a little bit of their bumper for the mm. new Hilux. <laughs> um which is it's already out so it's really cool to see that it's actually a, a piece that, that that they brought out um but I really enjoyed doing that and that was like a four-day project so they they put me on that um and I was sort of constantly on it got it date done in the four days we got it as close as possible as as, as Jason wanted it to be mm. um and then it probably took I think it took them maybe about six or seven months for it to actually finally come out after they'd done all the adjustments but to see that from start to finish on my own rather than being um, working for a company was a really nice it was just a really nice feeling um and after I did that I was actually approached by a couple of other body kit companies um that do pickup trucks in the UK yeah um both of them sort of fell through in the end I think because they was just there I think there wasn't 
so there weren't certain things in place um and they they never got but from that we you know my husband and I sort of sat down and we thought you know there is a there is a market for this sort of thing especially in the UK because obviously a lot of our body kit parts come from China or you know wherever else and it'd be really nice to to have something else here a little studio set up yeah. where you can work on different parts you know on a body kit or whatever it is extra on a car um to customize it yourself um and to yeah just to, the idea is quite like you know i've got so many ideas in my head and the idea is to go yeah bring in whatever car you have and we'll customize it however you want mm. that's very broad um and that would very take grand a lot Trisma. of money yeah well yeah it would take a lot of money to, to to do something like that because of the equipment you need and the time you need um but the idea is there just sort of depends on whether we can make it work and, and when um because to be fair i haven't really thought or spoken about it for a while now because you just get you just get sucked back into life don't you mm. um and it's conversations like this that make you think um and make you think actually yeah maybe i should start thinking about it again well it's one of those things where it's like well what's stopping you i guess because i know it's like obviously you've got security there's risk the money and yeah. i understand all that but like if i guess if if there was no risk like would you set up the company up tomorrow yeah if there was no risk in it i'd go yeah okay forget everything else i'm gonna set up on my own because I'd, I'd love to be able to, to to have something to say yeah i want this mm. um and in time like you said you know like a 10-year plan it would be nice to not have to work for someone um you do learn after a while that you kind of get to a point where you're like okay yeah you want to go you want to go it alone and do it your own way um but yeah, I mean, at the minute, I'd like to say there isn't, you know, like security. Yeah, security is a big thing, and you know, daily things of having to pay your bills and mortgage and pay off the cars that we've got um, are are your main thing that that kind of stop you from doing stuff. But I'm sure at a point we'll try and make it work if we can. Um, yeah. yeah, it's one of those. That's one of those things where, like, if um, if you were in the freelancing, do more with the freelancing, and that might lead to, but you never know. It's yeah. one of those things like a, going on Fiverr and putting yourself out as a as a freelance clay modeler or stuff like yeah, that. That's it, and just being given the opportunity, just you know, ad hoc, and building yourself up that way. So, yeah, definitely opportunity. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. like because the social media side of things as well. Like just putting yourself out there as a freelancer is 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 good enough to get a bit of attention. So it's it's one of the things where I I look at all this sort of stuff and I like 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 you. I I mean I've only spent oh since I was sixteen. So I mean to be fair, it's still six years of employment. But like after my second year working full time at a pub, I was like I've had enough. Yeah. And it's like I just I just I want to work myself. And over lockdown, there was like the reason this podcast came about was like I looked back at my career in commas and I went, there's nothing really I've gone and like gone after that I've enjoyed. Like it's always been because I was in the thing. Yeah. But yeah. It's just, it's more <laughs> like, yeah, business, business, business becoming self-employed is quite important to me. It's something that is, yeah. It is. It's either inbuilt in you as a want and you know that you want to do it or it's not. And I think for the people who want to do it, they, 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 you know, you'll find a way at yeah. some point to to at least try if not do exactly like i'm going i'm just one of those things like i want to do public speaking but like i'm going to schools and speaking to people and that that's great and that's brilliant and i do do more of that so it's like one of those things where like i 
I feel like I do this podcast and I preach like do what you love and if I don't start doing that I guess I'm one big hypocrite yeah yeah you've got to start doing it yourself that's it especially if you're <laughs> yeah, getting other people to think about it for sure yeah and I, know, I know we're coming towards the end here but there's sort of like those five questions that that I ask towards the end of the podcast and first of this being I mean you've already answered two of them but um the ultimate three car garage it's hard well I've, I'm gonna say the C63 that we've got so the five the 507 edition I've got to say and this sounds terrible because we we can't afford one but we have the 507 is the black edition C63 yeah um, can't afford one yet yes that's a better word um obviously the R34 Skyline yeah and, and oh the third car do you know what a Ford Raptor because I really like them and you want something practical yeah I say it's practical. It's not practical at all, but it's cool. It's cool as hell. Yeah, um, Ford like, it, yeah. Develop yeah. Get for it. My husband has a, a Ford Ranger, and um, they just they're just great utility cars to just throw about, and you have to worry about it. Mm. Um, yeah, it just it just works for everything. So, and I never would have said that until I met him. So it changes really changes your perception of what you want as a <laughs> as an adult. Well, it's, yeah it's like one of those things like the, the people that surround you influence you whether you like it or not so like it's just, one of those things, just even if it, it do with cars like even if it's something like that your your car love or perception might change because they might be completely into like jdm and you you're, you thought you were die hard like euro euro stuff so i mean yeah it's it's, it's interesting to see how that, that affects things yeah. Yeah. 100%. and then the next question is um you've only got one car um to drive on any road or track but you can only do it once where would you go and what would you take Oh. do you know what it kind of sounds really boring but I've so I've got a golf R at the minute mm. and I use it as a daily it's not the most exciting car in the world but that thing can literally outdo most things on the road apart from electric cars mm. and I never get to drive it properly because you're up and down a motorway most of the time and then by the time it comes to the weekend and you're going around, you know, if you're doing back roads and stuff, your fuel's gone. So, you know, I never really get the time. And so, yeah, it does sound boring, but I'd like to take that. And I like to take it on the Nürburgring purely because that was my favourite track on Gran Turismo. And I remember just constantly, I don't play Gran Turismo as much anymore, again, because of time and adulting. But that was my favourite track. And I just remember nonstop just practising, practising, practising on the Nürburgring. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to take my car, my daily. I don't get to drive around properly purely because it's just it's just fantastic as as an all round car, and and put it around the Nurburgring. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Like so, the Nurburgring for me is like I've, I've been around in an M4 as like one of those taxi things, and it was it was fantastic. Yeah. Like I would yeah. recommend it to anyone. And like this, the guy is taking you around. He's having a full on conversation with you while he's like chucking it into like the. You're scared at some points because you're like, how do you? have a conversation yeah. with me like like we're having Sunday lunch and you know all of a sudden you're doing 180 down the back straight but yeah yeah that sounds intense <laughs> <laughs> really intense oh uh, is it, do you remember the next the next question is is um I lost it it was here um <laughs> if you could if you could do anything any job any vocation any career path and money was not an object what would you do I think I would have become a racing driver, not Formula One, because Formula One's cool, but not for me. 
possibly a rally a rally race driver because mm. just it's just a really cool thing to do and it just amazes me what these guys do it's just insane like the skills that you must have and i absolutely love driving has always been like a thing and i absolutely love driving don't get it wrong up and down a motorway gets boring but apart from that you know when i have time just drive just driving so racing car driver of some sort would have been one up from clay modeling i'd say fair enough yeah I, i'm with you again like go-karting as a kid like it's brilliant i, I still go go-karting like it's something that yeah it's one of those things I've, i could have become a racing driver but the excuse instead of like a professional sportsman just i didn't have the money yeah, um, that's it simple as that <laughs> Oh dear. yeah like i said the more i do this podcast more i realize how like how big of it a problem actually is like for for grassroots to to become professional like it's one of those things but then again it wouldn't have the same esteem it has now if it was easy so no exactly if it was easy just well, everyone would be doing it so yeah and the next question is is what advice would you give to um a younger you or someone that wants to pursue something with their passion um advice i give to a younger me would be to not stress so much and to not worry about maybe not getting the opportunity straight away. Mm. Um, and I think the problem with, you know, younger people now is that they want, they know what they want to go into. They know what they want to do, but there is so much competition mm. constantly, especially because of social media and social media is such a big part of the fact that people feel like they're not doing enough or they're yeah. not, you know, that they're not giving their enough time and attention to certain things, which is, you know, it's all untrue anyway. You know, it's, it's that social media, it's all made up, but just to not be so hard on yourself because I still do it. I still go on to social media and, you know, I go off, oh, you know, why is that person doing that? They're my age and how, why have I, why haven't I not got that? Why am I not doing as much as this person? Yeah. And you try and figure out why you haven't got the energy. But for the, for, for the, for the younger generation, I do feel for them because you're constantly questioning yourself. Um, and, and you get it all the time where people are like, well, how can I do what you're doing? Just be patient. And if you're really that passionate about it, you you will get there it's just it takes so much time and effort and you've got to really push yourself and kind of ignore the rest of the world and ignore what they're doing because it's it's so difficult to you know to come away from that but if you can come away from it and push yourself that's the main thing i think mm. my yeah. opinion yeah i i will see it firsthand is like the, the fact that there are people that are like are my age that are now millionaires and you see them pop up on your YouTube channel and you know whatever it is and the adverts and it's like you're 21 you're only 85 million pounds a year like whatever yeah it's and mad like, yeah it's because they chose a career path earlier on and that's that's why yeah that's it some people just know what they're going to do or they give it a go and some people are scared of starting some people just do it but as long as you start something you know you know it might take a bit longer but I think it is just that it's just that fact of people need to stop comparing themselves. That's I think it's it's a massive thing now, more than it was ever before. Yeah. And the last question is, what do you love most about cars? Oh, just everything. The way they sound, the way they smell. Just, yeah, there's not one. I can't pinpoint anything specific because I've always loved them. Mm. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint anything to you. Um, everything about them. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a good answer. <laughs> any, so yeah. Um, well, thank you for your time as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime.
I now understand Shmilla and how she uses her indifference as a power. Suppose you don't believe that you are unique or special. You're wrong. No one has the experiences you've had and the knowledge you do. They may have skills you don't, but what's stopping you from learning, repeating and honing them to the point where you're better and quicker at that skill than you could ever believe? And what Shamila said about social media is true. Don't compare yourself to others, but compare your progress and how far you've come. That said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. I wanted to say a massive well done and thank you for taking your time to listen to what me and my guests have to say. This podcast was designed to help people in the automotive and motorsport industries. And so if you think I've done that, please hit follow on this app. I would really appreciate it and it would help us get bigger and better guests. See you next time.